who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at bufferingcast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Nintendo! Welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat for the week of March 21st, 2014. I am your host, Jose Otero, and I am joined by Per Schneider, the, bra, bra. Gem- the German wonder masquerading <laughs> as Brian Altano, right, and also the me. king of wikis, Sam Claiborne. Guten Morgen. <laughs> there we go. This is going to be a topsy-turvy day. <laughs> yeah, so this is uh, the Game Developers Conferences this week, but before we get into that, uh, just a quick update for you folks. Uh, last week, we had a live show that uh, the video should be going up uh, the following week. So the last week of March, uh, the 24th, yeah, starting the week of March 24th. You should see those videos on IGN. So if you've been waiting for that, sorry about that. We decided to hold them. We didn't want to get buried under a lot of uh, the Game Developers Conference news, which has been kind of dominating the site right now. And if yeah. you were at that, thanks for coming, because yeah, it was so you. fun. It was so fun. We yeah. love doing it. It turned out so great, Yep. and uh, it was awesome seeing everybody. And it's going to be a fun video to watch, too. We had a great debate if you missed it because you live in a much sunnier or colder country and you thought our heads up was too short, sorry about that. Um, you know, we basically decided uh, we're working with some folks on this and we decided on short notice, hey, let's just do this. Let's do a, a street pass event. And it was meant to be smaller, um, but more people showed up than we thought would. We, I, you know, I was worried that there'd be like 10 people in front of the door. And you were making door. me worried that yeah, there were like, 10 people in front of the door. I think only 10 people are going to show up. And I looked out the window, of course, Greg Atlas, who was at every IGN show, was there. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm like, okay, that's not yet a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, uh, But then finally, a lot of people lot came. Of so up. we filled mm-hmm. every seat in the house and we did a live, uh, well, live 
not life on the website, but a live podcast and, yeah. and, and street passing. And based on the results, we're definitely up for another one with yeah. a lot more advanced warnings. So hang in there. Sorry about that. We will definitely look out for you in the future. Yeah, there's cool Nintendo giveaways they worked with us on. There was like a poster and a QR code for Bravely Default, and they're and really cool. Copies mm-hmm. of the game, too. Yeah, so. copies of the game again. Yeah. So we'll try to hopefully have stuff like that. So if you were left out, look for the video. It's going to be on the site. Okay. It's so going to be us rambling. Next time we'll rent out the stadium. We're right next to it. That's right. Oh, that'd we'll be dope. you guys in. <laughs> then we'd really see how few people have shown up. <laughs> we'll show up. That place seats a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, the Game Developers Conference is an annual event in, in San Francisco. And folks from all across the world come in to talk about the making of video games. And in some cases to show off progress on certain games or to give folks an update. Uh, Nintendo has a booth space down in South Hall, where uh, the exhibition hall basically is South Hall. And just, you know, for folks who have never seen the inside of GDC, it's not like E3, right? Where it's this kind of crazy branded booth with, mm-hmm. like, you know, statues of, of Mario and Link. That's not what it looks like. It's nope. very, it looks very much like a, like a business affair. Corporate. Yeah. yeah. And there's an angle to it every year. And this year and last year is their web framework, which is kind of... Um, trying to get indie developers to work with Nintendo consoles more and more. And um, this year there was actually something really cool. If you want to get into it, I don't know. No, yeah, go for they're, it. They're, um, so like they're, they're showing off how you can develop for Wii U using uh, uh, tools, including HTML5 and Java, which means that like, and those are platform agnostic. So like potentially you, know, you could develop a, a, a game and using those tools that offer any platform, like you know, a web browser or a phone or something, and you could pretty easily get it on Wii U. So just to give you an idea why, why it makes such a huge difference, right? IGN is a developer, of course, not of games, but of applications and mm-hmm. websites. And so when we made our Xbox 360 app, that was in the days when no web frame framework was available, mm-hmm. and it was a pain in the butt, right? We yep. had to get somebody who basically, you know, knew... You know, a developer, well-versed like a game developer, had to code for the machine. So you have to pay a lot of money to develop the software. You submit it, and, you know, it goes through this long approval uh, process. Eventually, it's available on the Xbox 360 platform. You download it, and then we can work on improvements, which means that same developer has to work on it for months again. You have to resubmit it to make changes. So every little bug, you have to wait sometimes months or weeks to fix it. With Web Framework, you can release an app, and then anything that is coded in HTML5 or Java can be can be adjusted on the fly, mm-hmm. right? So our PlayStation 4 app actually was coded with um, Sony's Web Framework. Yeah, so if you look at our PlayStation 4 app on the PlayStation 4, it looks like a really nicely made video app where you're just it's watching video after video, but it's actually being served uh, you know, from IG using HTML5, the whole layout and design mm-hmm. is in HTML5. Um, that's what this Mario game that we played was using. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that they're going to release it on, on a phone or a browser, but it means you could potentially design your own game and test it on a browser because we can test our PlayStation 4 app on a browser. Yeah. Yeah. It, it works just like it does on the PlayStation 4 and a browser. So, you know, just like the, the PlayStation 4 web framework made it easier for us to develop an app, get it to market, and keep on upgrading it, right? Mm-hmm. It makes it now easier for all these developers that were shut out previously to publish for a Nintendo platform. By the way, if you're wondering why we haven't done a Nintendo video app, we've pitched them many, many times. Um, they're just not into that, right? At least we know that with, um, you know, sort of these web framework technologies, then Maybe it shouldn't be too hard to port, exactly. you know, some of the yeah. existing, you know, app really that we cool. have. Yeah, um, and so it makes it also, it, it used to be really difficult for an indie developer to get a kit from Nintendo and all that, and they basically, they erased those those borders, right? Yeah. Like, you were able to really, 
you know, become a developer really easily. And now it's much easier for people to transition from other platforms, yeah. which is great. That means more games, right? Sure. And just really quick, the game they're showing off is just a four-level version of kind of the Mario versus Donkey Kong minis Yeah, games. I was going to ask you to go back to that. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in Jose played. No, no, I, I didn't actually. I uh, I got there and got a little bit of an overview, but I thought yeah, you I got, got the same a chance overview. to. Yeah, in go fact, for it. like there was somebody else playing the whole time that I was trying to hear about it too. Okay. So. But yeah, it was just like you know, it was the puzzle solving end of those games. It's not like the platforming end of it. Yeah. And it was like you know, the minis are walking through the levels, and you use on the touch screen, you can move and delete you know different aspects of it. We have a, actually a, a video of this up with uh, all the gameplay described. Yeah. So definitely check that out. So yeah. And that was made by NST, by the way, the yeah. demo that we saw on the on the show floor. So NST, if you don't know what that is, is basically a group of developers within NOA. And I kind of wish they had them do more stuff, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, they did the the, the, the uh, Wave Race um, Blue Storm, right? The, yeah. The, the GameCube title um, and the Whoa. 1080s. I think they also the did the uh, Metroid that. Prime Hunters yeah, for right. DS. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was yeah, technologically been, impressive. Mm-hmm. But it's Hunters. been quiet around those guys, right? And yeah. they're, I mean, uh, back in the days, we talked to them a lot. They um, they worked directly with DigiPen, the, you know, the, the school for budding game designers mm-hmm. on, on getting talent in, into NFTs. So, um, yeah, it's been too quiet around those guys. And it sounds like they're now working on more back-end stuff and, and middleware and dev kits, yeah. uh, dev kits, stuff like this. <laughs> but I still think this is a – I mean, yes, this is designed to make it easier to get developers on board. I just find it curious that they would use a Mario game like that as a demo. Yeah. I, You know, it, we've heard a lot about – pressure on Nintendo to publish on iOS and other platforms, right? And obviously them saying, no, we're never going to take like a core game and put it on other platforms other than our own. But now you could easily do a demo of a 3DS game on the web, right? As a playable web demo with, yeah. with a kit like this. Yeah, yeah. demos would work. I, I think like it should be pointed out too, like this did not look like a Flash game or something like that. It's not that. Yeah. It looks like a Wii U game. Like it had sprites. Mm-hmm. It looked like a... Very well animated. A, yeah, a well animated Nintendo, you know, high-end Nintendo game. Yeah. But do it you was think, indistinguishable. Do you think we're going to see games playable on the PC, on the, in the browser? Just because they've said no, that's why I think no. I mean, I don't no, know. No, yeah, they've, they've said anything that's word. made in a in web framework um, would be its own. There, it would be distributed via the the eShop. It is a game. It is not. Yeah. It doesn't seem like they're interested in anything off the browser at all. But maybe they I, might distribute it through their, their own app on the 3DS that just does HTML. Yeah. Like that could be something. So you don't have to download a game. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. If they're gonna... I just think maybe that's like, a bigger question though for someone uh, higher up too, because the folks on the show floor are just mm-hmm. gonna say what they've been sort of exactly. trained to say. Yeah. So that yeah. might not be the best, the final word on that. And. Come on, like when you introduce a web framework as a game, des- a, a game designer has got to be a, get excited about the prospects, right? Like everyone has a phone and a computer. What if there was instead of having to download like Pokemon Box or something on your 3DS, now you can actually have a companion app on these on these devices that may have some light gameplay elements, like training your Pokemon when you're away from your 3DS or from your Wii U, like. I got to think there's going to be some use for this. I don't buy that this is just for developers to sure. get on, the, on that platform. And just for context for folks, when we were talking about NST, that stands for Nintendo Software Technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, like we said earlier, a group of the of basically American developers inside of NOA. Great team. Yeah, I mm-hmm. want to see cool. more from them. Sure. All right. So uh, we saw some eShop games as well. Some of the uh, outside of Web Framework, the other big thing and, you know, Web Framework and also Unity were a big part of GDC for Nintendo last year, even though they had, I feel, a more subdued presence than this year. This year they had a lot more demos um, in the exhibit hall. Um, So they had three stations set up. So I got to see three of their games. 
Um, the one I started out with was Nilihambra. Um, it's made by Beautifun Games. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of an interesting take on a platformer. You're basically kind of trying to outrun the vo- a void that's chasing you through some of these levels, uh, but it's not meant to be like super fast paced. And you're using special colors as ways to kind of like uh, interact and move throughout the world. So let's say for example, you need to make a really high jump. You can color the ground green and then make the jump from a higher from a higher surface, and you'll bounce higher and therefore make it to a, like an elevated like platform. Like the portal paint, kind of. Sort of, yeah, or like a it, yeah, kind of like a two D version of a there was a something the power of paint that was a, a big game a couple of years ago it was first person um, mm. and you use paint to kind of color surfaces and you, each color has different properties mm. um, do you remember that Wii game Blob the Blob the Blob yeah the no, blob. that's not it but that was fun too mm-hmm. yeah um, so that looked cool uh, I got to see the one I liked the most was uh, Tesla Guard Tesla Grad I hope I'm saying that right and I apologize but it's made by Rain Games and it is a uh, steampunk steampunk expired kind of uh, platform action platformers Mm -hmm. yeah Um, and it sort of has a Metroid aspect to it too because you're you're sort of finding uh, old relics and everything's based on the properties of magnetism Mm -hmm. so you are using this glove that you find early in the game to basically get services to move so that platforms to move so you can get to other areas and it follows the rules of magnetism right so opposites attract um etc mm-hmm. which is really dope that's um, cool yeah it, it, it was kind of bending my brain a little bit because they're using colors and you think oh let's match colors it's like no actually you don't want to do that like and sometimes these you want to make red and blue games? not blue and blue yeah these okay. were all made in unity cool. um i believe tesla grad is on pc um, and so is Nilihambra already. They're like Steam early access games or available on the Steam shop. So that was another common theme with some of the <laughs> games I saw there. They were made in Unity. They existed on another platform or on PC, and they were ported over. And supposedly, uh, or at least from developers I talked to, porting it is pretty easy. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. Like, there are so many games on Steam that I don't get to, like Rogue Legacy, for instance, mm-hmm. and I really wish they were on the Wii U because mm-hmm. I want to play them with a gamepad. Yeah. You know, I want to play them with a controller, and I want to see them on my TV. And I just don't use Steam as a distribution platform in my living room. Yeah, yeah. and and if you you know if you're not into indie games or you haven't been paying attention to the scene, you know, don't think that they're all esoteric, weird gameplay games. I mean, like something like Towerfall is essentially like Smash oh, Brothers, gosh, right? That like game these is so games. Cool. Mm-hmm. These games deserve to be on a platform like mm-hmm. the Wii U, which was designed to be about you know playing games in in, in your living room primarily, yes, exactly. right? Like Nidhogg exactly. is another one, right? Yeah, like, totally. Nidhogg would be perfect for tablet versus TV, yeah. right? Like, yeah, and yeah. actually, uh, some yeah. of the games there, like Nilihambra, had a cool uh, way there of using two players, where one player would play as a character and the other player would use the touchscreen mm-hmm. and paint the surfaces for that player. Mm-hmm. So there was some there were some opportunities for crop, cool. but not all of them did that. Uh, but you're absolutely right that you know these developers can kind of then harness and use these features and figure out what they yep. want to do. So it's good to have more indies on the platform. Nintendo's been pushing for a while, right? Yep. They're they're never as loud as Sony. Sony's yeah. been really leading the charge on mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, we're an indie friendly platform." Yeah. Now Microsoft at GDC, if you haven't been following it, also announced, you know, we've got all these developers on the platform that made it way easier for them to publish into the into uh, into the. Onto the Xbox One, mm-hmm. and so you know it's great. Um, Nintendo keeps on cranking on it as well, but isn't always as loud as the other guys. Yeah, no, and there's it. some concepts out there that make a lot of sense um, for them. For example, there's a game called Spy Party, which is 
absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been in development for a couple of years now, and uh, it's basically there's two. Uh, it's asymmetrical. So one player is playing a sniper, watching folks at a party, mm-hmm. and the other person is a spy at that same party, trying to complete a certain list of objectives and get out of the room without oh, getting noticed cool. by the sniper. So you're now, this is an older game. Folks have probably heard about it by now. But it sounds perfect for Wii U, yeah, right? Because totally. you have two different viewpoints. And uh, basically, the guy who's playing the spy has to pretend to be a robot. He has to pretend to be an NPC. Mm-hmm. So do wacky things and not uh. look like he's a... Because, yeah, he just doesn't want to give himself away. And certain times, he has to give himself away. Like, if you <laughs> say the code word when you join a group of people and say banana, yeah. the spy can hear someone said banana, and he's watching all the groups like, who is it? Who is it? <laughs> spy only has one shot, and whoever he chooses... If he got it wrong, that's it. Mission failed. But if he got it right, you lose. That is awesome. It's what a very Game & Wario idea. Right now, this has been in development for PC for a while. Mm-hmm. And, and it's Nintendo, online? Is that how it works on PC? Um, I'm like, not how, entirely how sure. It's been local work? at PAX at every event I've been. Okay. It's, okay. it's only been a local game. I'm pretty sure they probably have an, an online component to it. I wish I knew more about that part. But um, I've played it at PAX a couple of times and have always thought wow, this is perfect for that platform. And I did speak to someone from uh, Nintendo's marketing department and said, you know, you guys should jump on that. Like, what's the deal? And he's like, unfortunately, we have nothing to announce. You know, we're, we are looking into things and we've started some conversations, but that's about it. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, like, that makes so much sense. I wish there them. was like a more, um, on the opposite end of this, that, that they were also controlling like kind of the shovelware. Mm-hmm. Because if there was a, a good library it's like we know about these games but it's really hard to kind of champion them when there's Mm. so much other like kind of fluff and that's Mm. already happening for wii u uh it's really bad on the ds yeah Yeah, there's just so much i don't know like i'm not saying all these games are terrible it's just like it's hard to find like these games that are are just so worth playing versus all the all the other stuff yeah and and, you know nintendo obviously doesn't know the quality of the final game when they sign on a developer or a developer that's what reviews are for you know so we're here here to help for that yeah And an ironic twist uh, for some folks. So Spy Party was uh, developed by Chris Hecker, the guy who, I think it was 2006 or 2007, was part of an indie game developer's rant because he worked at EA at the time. And yeah. he said, the Wii is basically two GameCubes ducked together. Oh, yeah, that's he, right. It was that guy, yeah. Oh, but he's, a- he's really smart. He's a really cool dude, and his game looks amazing every time I see it. Well, technically, the Wii was two GameCubes Yeah, exactly. Together. Yeah, you know, my, like- my duct tape started coming unglued recently, and my mm-hmm. Wii stopped working. Yeah. People, people <laughs> reacted really negatively to developers saying the Wii is not very powerful. Like, the Wii was not powerful. Like, let's, you know, we all know that. Yeah. Um, the Wii U is a very capable machine, puts out beautiful visuals. The Wii did not so much, uh, right? It, and, like, my favorite games on GameCube still look better than my favorite games on Wii, except maybe Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. Depends Wind- on your television there. Did, <laughs> come on, Wind Waker looks better than Twilight Princess. Don't you think? Wind Waker, Wind Waker HD looks I, better than yeah. Wind Waker. No, I know what you're I saying. Think it looks I totally than Skyward get it. Sword. Metroid but Prime looks better. What you, than but what you, what, the, mm-hmm. to your point, it's all about art direction, right? Exactly. It's all about how that works. Um, yeah. Cool. All right. So uh, those were. That's a quick round roundup of some of the games they had there. They actually rotate them out at two. So I'm going to try and go back today yeah. and see what are the other three that they'll have. We'll bring some impressions and have them oh, on nice. the site. Um, but you should look forward to those. They're all really close. Last one was It'll Do. Um, it's also uh, sort of a like a Zelda style adventure, you know, uh, as, as far as like using weapons and um, solving dungeon puzzles and whatnot. It yeah. was it was pretty cool. So yeah. like release wise, it's been really quiet, right? There's only a Pokemon Troze came out on yeah, the store. That came so out yesterday. If you've yeah. never played well, those cool puzzle games, there's some stuff coming out yeah. really soon though. I think yeah. March has probably. 
or soon, I think we're going to get NES Remix, too, yeah. right? Well, not, yeah, it's in April. I think it's April, around April 15th. Oh, um, man, and most wait. of the guys I talked to for the games I saw, I was like, do you guys have a target when you're coming out? And they're like, within the next month or so, mm. next yeah. month, month and a half. So I'm like, okay, yep. this should be cool. And the card is right around the corner now, too. Yeah, it still feels like a long time away Does to it? me. Yeah. I feel like we're going to... May 30th. Uh, that's going to go so fast. Mm-hmm. And then E3 is right after that, so we want to be And there's to no it. news on card, right? Uh, not anything we can share yet. <laughs> hint, hint. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, great. So that's a quick roundup of GDC. Uh, to pair, how about some emails from readers? What do we got? Sure. Yeah, we've got an. Uh, if you want to look for some emails as well, we, okay. we're really ill prepared for this today, guys. It's GDC week, guys. Well, let yeah. let, let GDC. me also say for thirty seconds that we saw an Animal Crossing panel. The oh only, yes, yeah. I forgot. The only we'll talk about that. Nintendo panel at GDC this year. Well, I mean, there's people from Nintendo and other stuff, mm-hmm. and they always. They usually participate and do cool stuff, but there was an Animal Crossing panel. It was a post-mortem making Animal Crossing, New Leaf, and uh, there was a lot of cool little photos and stuff like that. I thought it was interesting. And do you know there was Aya? Uh, 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 Yo- it was Iguchi, and it was uh, Gyo- uh, It's the female co-director on the game. Yeah, uh, and she was great. She yeah. was so cool. And she'd started out um, at EAD as – I. she said that she was the first – female developer at EAD, and wow. she'd been there for a while, mm-hmm. but uh, she worked on Four Swords, Twilight Princess, um, and then uh, the last couple Animal Crossing games, and she was lead on this, and they really, her speech, and then also Yaguchi's after it, were really emphasizing like how they took that, that Animal Crossing team, and they thought, we want to make this for the widest audience possible, and to do that, a diverse audience, they, they really made the team half and half, male and female. They got young and old developers on it. They opened up design to the entire uh, Nintendo, the, the, the building, essentially. They could all bring in drawings and show each other stuff from Animal Crossing, just ideas for Animal Crossing, a lot of them in the game. So basically, it was like their idea was like, if we want to sell this and, and get it you know, liked by a diverse crowd of people, then we should have it made by that. The, those people and that's like really progressive and cool for Nintendo it's very cool yeah one one thing that people about uh, people most people don't know about GDC, GDC is that the panels have to be about games that are already out right that's the in most cases the charge. Not all, yeah. well they do something like Destiny had a panel today that was mostly about like tools and updates yeah, but yeah, you're so, right but yeah. they do in this tech thing right mm-hmm. like the, yeah. the developers and the publishers have to pitch GDC and say we want to do a panel on this yeah. and if it if it feels like you're just talking about a game that's about to come out and it's promotional, they're not going to allow it. Yeah, that's your point, right? And yeah, so yeah. with Destiny, right, like they, they have the, to frame it, hey, here's what we learned from it's this about the and craft. applying to it's it. It's about right? the craft of it, not the game Exactly. Yeah. Itself. And so, you know, there were a couple of game demos that were actually outside of GDC, right? I saw the the Alien game for, for um, the other consoles. and Isolation. That, that couldn't yeah. be a panel. That had to be a game demo that was, that mm-hmm. was externally run by, by Sega in that case, right? Um, so yeah, it was. Yeah. It's, it's it's really cool though uh, for Nintendo to go there and, and do kind of like this post mord on yeah. Animal Crossing. What was it last year? They it, had a really good one. They had a, well, the two years ago they had Donkey Kong, and then mm-hmm. last year they did I think a 3DS or, or Wii U post mord about how des- how they designed those, and that mm-hmm. was really cool. Remember, Iwata gave the um, keynote. The keynote two years at ago. one point. Yeah. Um, yeah you know what's cool about the Animal Crossing thing is Rhythm the, Heaven. the the general manager of GDC. Uh, she, she who puts together, you know, she, it's like Megan Scavio. Yeah, Megan. Yeah, she mm-hmm. she came up and uh, she introduced the 
the the Animal Crossing panel saying mm-hmm. that that was her favorite game of last year. Yeah. So yep. I think they're going to try to get more Nintendo stuff when they can. At, yeah. at and it's great game. that they're opening the doors because they were really closed off in the past, right? Like mm-hmm. Nintendo didn't share a lot of in-development uh, specs and details. And so they, they've been opening up yeah. more. So, you know, which brings me to this this first question. And remember, you can email us at nvc at IGN.com. We get a ton of email from you guys now. So that's awesome. And, you know. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I haven't seen the stats for podcast downloads uh, this month yet, but last month was oh, great. Yeah, the the mm-hmm. show keeps on growing, so it's awesome that more people are discovering it. If you have a, a hard time finding the podcast, just go to IGN, hit the browse menu at the top, and click on podcasts, or you scroll to the bottom of any of our pages, you can uh, subscribe to RSS feeds. There's one specifically for the show, or of course, go to your favorite podcast service like iTunes and um, you know download us there. But you can always email us at nvc at IGN.com or leave comments when we post this podcast on the article. And, uh, you know, question uh, from Ian M. Um, this week at GDC, we have some reports that Sony and Microsoft are working on VR headsets. Uh, this appears to be another case of Nintendo being well ahead of the curve. The Virtual Boy may have been a failure at the time, but with all this VR stuff coming out, do you think that this is the time for Nintendo to surprise everyone with the release of the Virtual Boy Advance? I don't think so. I think uh, for Nintendo, a big part of what they do right now is the shared living room experience mm-hmm. and the minute you put a helmet on that's not happening yep. um, for them that's that's kind of key at least at the moment also VR is in a weird place where VR has not had its Mario 64 and that's not to say it's coming but it is to say that there's still a lot to be figured out um, I'm really curious to see how it goes mm-hmm. honestly I, I'm someone who gets motion sick from first person games so <laughs> oh, yeah, I, yeah. I don't want to try an oculus at least i'm very hesitant to but i'm also open to ideas maybe one game concept will finally sell it to me but i'm just not on those, board yet those space shooters are really really that's, cool yeah. that's what i was going to say you should try valkyrie which is okay. based yeah. on the eve universe it's less right? motion mm-hmm. inducing because they're two yeah. things right when you put on a headset yes it blocks out like everything around you yep. you only see these screens in front of your eyes and you know the oculus is you know the, the sets are 3d you've got two screens simulating 3d picture and all mm-hmm. that um and it can be really it can be really discomforting if what you're controlling does not match up with the way that your body feels and yep. i remember when i first played pc games back in the days and i'd be playing a game like forsaken or you know which was like completely in 3d space i felt queasy yep. you know when I'm the game ran really that. smoothly but no. after a while you get used to it i don't get motion sick now when i play a, a three yeah. uh, a first person shooter for example so i think people will get used to it as well um, the other thing is, like, you look like an idiot playing it. Yeah. yeah. I, I was going to also, neither of those devices are being marketed, mm-hmm. and th- it's unclear whether they can be. I, I don't know what Sony's plan is going to be. This is very expensive tech. It's how many are you going to have? Yeah. You know, like, this is not like they're trying to, the Oculus Rift's whole po- point of its, its existence mm-hmm. is to be a cheap, off the shelf thing. It's still, you know, so expensive only for something developers. Dollars, right? This is a couple years in. Yeah. So like they're trying like I don't know I don't, I don't know if that's that's the opposite of what Nintendo's interested yeah. in. Yeah, well one thing know? remember Sony, big electronics consumer electronics company right they make displays, um, you know they famously had an amazing you know a plasma totally. uh, a business that didn't work out and they got out of it and they, they're obviously back in display development with LEDs and all that and they're going to be able to make the basically. The, 
they're the company company to make the cheapest headset, really, yep. right? Because they control the pieces. Um, so if anyone's going <clears> to <throat> succeed, I think it will be the consumer electronics company. Here's the good news. Yep. There's a Zelda game coming out for Oculus Rift, and it's a <laughs> fan-made 3D recreation of the ver- very yeah. first Legend of Zelda. Yeah. And it's just like blocks, like Minecraft style, you know, yeah. made in that. Thing. I'm shaking my but, head for those at home. <laughs> no, but it, it would. I would look at the video it. though. It looks awesome. There's like uh, these giant, stupid, blocky looking Octoroks in your way, and like with an Oculus. No, Rift. I've seen that part. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Man, but, but like, can't back to cool. Ian's question, right? I would never say no. I don't think that Nintendo is looking at the Oculus or Sony's Morpheus yeah. or you know the other projects. They're they're more out there, right? Valve. Um, they're not looking at it saying. We need to pull even. We need to develop a VR headset, right? Yeah. Like they, they want yep. to introduce new ways no of playing, and this is not going to be a new way of playing because somebody else is going to beat them to it. Yeah, and um, and I mean they've already talked about quality. Quality of life is their future. Yeah. I don't know if they would really want to tack something else onto that because yeah. no one knows what that is or what it's going to be. But. I, I don't think they're discouraged because of the Virtual Boy, because the Virtual Boy was a different device, right? It was your portable screen. It was focused on 3D. VR is very different. You move your head and you move around. Exactly. Well, head tracking room, and stuff, right? yeah. Like the the, it's a completely immersive experience. And I want to, I want everybody to know, I am super excited about that technology. It Me will, too. it will look, make you look like an idiot sitting on the couch. And of course, the biggest. Uh, and application you're gonna get, in PC uh, is going to uh, be pornography. There's no question about it. That's what's going to happen on the PC. On consoles, uh, though, man, if they do something like Valkyrie where you're sitting in a cockpit of an X-Wing and you're flying around, it just feels so good. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, it's it, really It's the cool. most, the biggest jump I've experienced since the jump to Mario 64. Yeah. It is so cool. So, and also, Virtual Boy... I'm not going to go into this because you guys should watch a video that we made about this, but there's an incredible history of Nintendo Museum exhibit on the GDC show floor, which has the rarest games ever made, you know, like stadium events. It has the World Championship card, and then it has really cool Nintendo toys from like yep. before the NES. Yeah, uh, game counselor's ma- binder. Yeah, yeah. account like well, that's my job in 1985, right? To help so kids cool. beat games over the, over the phone. They had a big paper binder with maps in it. Mm-hmm. So. Look for that video on IGN.com. It's called the uh, 13 Awesomely Rare Nintendo Artifacts. It's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Next question comes from Tommy. He says, Love, loves the show. Quick question. Do some HD remakes change the experience of the orig- original game? For example, last year I played the N64 version of Ocarina of Time and loved it. Then I recently just got the 3DS remake to play Master Quest, <clears throat> but I feel the new graphics are spoiling my experience. Not that they look bad, but, but I miss the blocky polygons that made up Hyrule before. I don't feel this way for all games. For example, I love the Wind Waker HD even more than the original because of the graphics. I'd love to hear your thoughts. What do you guys so think? So wait, what was the first part of he's that question? Saying, Sorry. He's That's basically saying when you get an HD remake, can that have a negative impact on your gaming experience? Oh, I think it can. I think it depends on um, some, partly on the amount of effort. Um, I, I like to use this example. Um, Jet Grind Radio is one of my favorite games of mm-hmm. all time. Jet yeah. Set Radio, uh, which was out on the Dreamcast. And I think two years ago, Sega ported that game, or maybe it was last year, ported that game to and basically had an HD version, which, you know, because it was self-shaded technology, it looked amazing. However, the controls were still trapped in that 2000 Mm -hmm. mold where, you know, maybe back then we had patience for it. Right now we don't. And so it had a negative impact on it because controls are updated. Momentum is a big factor in that game and maintaining momentum. 
And it just felt like, man, these controls were that bad back well, then, but we were willing to deal. Well, can you play it on Dreamcast and be better at it? Like, is it actually even stunted by, um, like, approximating it, those controls? You know? No, it's just one of those instances where it's been so long. It just um, didn't age well. Yeah, it just did not age well at all. I think, um, I think the same can happen with, like, a Final Fantasy remake, dude, right? Course, where yeah. your brain fills in the rest. Like, you see a very simple characters moving, and if the movement is really digital, you know, like, the from stopping to running to stopping and, like, turning awkwardly when it's when it's low you know lo-fi graphics your brain fills in the rest the moment everything looks beautiful but the animations and the yeah. is the same the game can feel really awkward right? yeah, it's like, like Candy Valley type yeah. stuff for 3D yeah. games and then of course the Final Fantasy remake of 6 mm-hmm. which I hate to call 6 because mm-hmm. I played it as 3 the US yeah. but yeah it, it, that remake of course has got a lot of uh, attention because it, it's it's a it's a it's a, not a w- well adapted artistic vision of that game. Like yep. it is beautiful sprites originally, and then there's not so good kind of flash looking uh, sprites that it was made into for iPhone recently. And of course that that's detrimental to the game. I mean I don't think Ocarina of Time is ugly on the 3DS, but there's a charm to vintage games. I mean I yeah. of all yeah. people like know that charm. And like Super Mario All Stars is great, but it's not as great for me as playing Super Mario Brothers One. Like that game is a perfect example of that. Like yeah. the aesthetic of Mario One is so precise and so tied up with my nostalgia and enjoyment that I don't really need to play a remake. I like of that. what uh, what um, the developers on Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary oh, did though, yeah, where it had the ability to you know be the new graphics with just a push of a button and then switch back to the old ones. Granted, I didn't think uh, the new graphical style was it was a huge improvement. It was decent, um, but being able to go back to yeah. the original and how that looked and then play that way and just hitting was select really cool. Yeah, and seeing it instantly mm-hmm. happen yeah. like that is that was a feat yeah. of game engineering. Yeah, that, that was, was a really cool, cool idea and a really cool approach and I, I hope that um, if that's possible other companies look at that. Yep. Oh, so cool. with Ocarina of Time I actually I actually like the better graphics in Ocarina of Time the, the remake because Link looked the way that I know Link looks like, <laughs> right? But there have been some 2D upgrades where the art was redone, right? Like mm-hmm. think of like the double dragons of this world, right? Where yeah. the characters just don't look the way that you yeah, or think the, they should Or look. the Burger Time game. I mean yeah. th- there's there's a, there's a point to making there, there's a value in abstractness there's a value in an abstract Pac-Man and an abstract Burger Time it's ruined when you extrapolate those characters and make them into 3D you know anthropomorphic things and of course that can affect any type of remake yeah um so there's some, uh, let me see, I had a good question here. Where was it? Oh, Wii U gamepad ideas. So Fernando Ramirez. 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 Uh, Mr. Curious is asking, I'd love to hear your ideas for clever uses of the Wii U gamepad in games. And I think it's a good question because we haven't really talked about that a lot, right? There's a lot of chatter about, well, the gamepads, like, it's okay, right? We love the games, but the gamepad really isn't adding anything. He's saying, you know, in double dash mode in Mario Kart, two players per cart, where one drives while the other uses the gamepad's motion control like to mode. scan and lock on enemies in front and re throws items. You know, like... Do you guys Call think, of Duty did that to an extent. Yeah. Do you right? guys? Do, I mean, are there any like ideas for gamepad usage in games that you think would be killer in games? Uh, Donkey anything? Kong is so hard that like I think it would be cool if the second person could like you know shoot 
just from Donkey Kong's back or something like that. So because right now, like when co-op and Donkey Kong, you kind of both have control over jumps, and it's a, it's pretty confusing. You know, so it'd be kind of cool if somebody could just sit there and like just freeze enemies and stuff like that. I always well, like you, you the can Mario if you, if the if the second player jumps on the first player's back, um, the action buttons then turn into firing the pop gun for like uh, Dixie Kong or I think cranky fires teeth but yeah, no, it, it works like that, that a little yeah. bit yeah it'd be cool if there was like the touch screen though like, oh, like you okay. could actually like yeah, yeah, hold yeah. a rat in place and mm-hmm. then you can jump sure on sure i was i do like that i like that in mario galaxy when the second person could just be the the remote pointer and it just like cool. mess with stuff it was a little underdeveloped it was like tingle that's and, what i was know, gonna like, say yeah it needs but, to be better but yeah the um <laughs> my my daughter recently had four of her friends over Mm-hmm. And they're like, "What are we gonna play?" And Jet Force like, Gemini. Off. Did they no, play they Jet Force Gemini? No, I don't have that hooked up. But yeah, I think they'd be frustrated <laughs> with the controls on that one. That but, has a little robot. You but can I play just as a... I put in Rayman. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, on the on the Wii U, I'm like, oh man, it is five players, mm-hmm. right? And so they had a ton of fun playing with five people. I just like it, my brain doesn't even connect like work like my brain didn't tell me that oh yeah there are games for five players and i remember you know mario and all yeah, that you could potentially make a racing game like mario kart could be a five player exactly. game you know because the fifth player could be on the, the Wii remote but we're, we're so used to you know unless you had Bomberman and additional controller mm-hmm. extension we're so used to that magical four number right? yeah like, it's funny i love that the gamepad opens up the fifth player and yeah, I would love to see more more modes where one the player is exactly the same as the others, right? Like he can you you just have this additional control in the screen. But I also love the the one empowered game master concept where totally. like one player is special and does something else. And I felt like Nintendo Land did a good job at introducing the concept, and then ne- nobody ran with it. No, right? it's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no one did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leo Mateo uh, wrote in he says um, you know what non-Nintendo franchise would you love to see Nintendo own that would benefit from Nintendo's development uh, degree uh, pedigree P.S. Jose is awesome and so is the German guy (laughs) hell yeah he's talking about me and (laughs) Oscar Seignitz yeah very good (laughs) and the uh, um, Baron Corey wrote in uh, with the exact same question right like what uh, what you know Sony or Microsoft title do you think would benefit from being on the Wii U and Mm. using the controls oh man that's a good question one I brought up last time 3D Dot Game Heroes huh 3D Dot Game Heroes that's just Zelda with giant 3D pixels can you blame me yeah (laughs) I I mean I honestly I think Little Big Planet oh yeah you you brought this up before I think that's a really good point but you know in addition to just fitting in that universe of Nintendo-ness the gamepad designing levels with the gamepad is just so much better right Mm -hmm. and like People create levels in Halo and in, in Little Big Planet, and they do it with you know on-screen interfaces. When really touch is the right way to go, there you can quickly paint an entire level. And like the Vita has shown some of those concepts. Like I feel like those are the games where you know you're either designing levels that you share with others um, um, that would work really really well. Yeah, I think. Uh Actually, speaking of another media molecule game, what was the Vita game that just came out this oh, December? Yeah. Uh, Tearaway. Tearaway. I think yeah. Tearaway would be a way better Nintendo game. Honestly, yeah. I feel like uh, I, I love uh, its art aesthetic and I love parts of what it does, especially how it tells its story. But I feel like some of its gameplay is a little underdelivered. I feel like mm-hmm. um, Nintendo would, or under Nintendo's direction, some of those ideas would be expanded upon a little more. Um, that's just my opinion. Uh, around the office, a lot of people don't agree with me about it, and certainly you don't have to, podcast listener. But uh, I think that that would be a cool um, franchise for them, especially because yeah. it's just so adorable. Like, and you're making things out of paper um, constantly, and that just seems like something. But then again, Nintendo doesn't like you to make things unless it's like WarioWare DIY or something like that. Yeah, you don't really see creation. Yeah, 
Yeah, you don't really see Excite creation bike. in a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, or that. Yep, but I mean, there there are a lot of good games, I'd say, on on Microsoft and Sony platforms that would be great to have on the Wii, Wii U. But I always feel like they are they are different. You know, there's a reason why there are three platforms out there, and I don't want to cross the streams too much, right? Like mm-hmm. as cool as it was having Assassin's Creed and Batman on a Nintendo platform, I would have preferred if we had different games, right? Yeah. Maybe it's because I can't, I do own multiple consoles, but you know, I'd love to see. We just talked about this, right? Remember when Steven Spielberg was into making yep. games for Wii, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I like Boom Blocks. Boom Blocks was a cool game, and like just having that creativity rather than just applying other people's franchises to the platform. It's funny though because we've all chosen games that are really sort of either cute or, or just kind of fit Nintendo's brand. None of us pick like something edgy or like, or for example, like I'd like a Starcraft or a Diablo. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Not that those would benefit necessarily from Nintendo's direction, but those would be a better fit on a gamepad. I would, I would at least in my mind. But um, yeah, it doesn't seem to be the case. Yep. Here's a you know this is more of a of a meta question about IGN or you know response to our I podcast last week. Rob is saying, "Hey, pair or Mr. Schneider." It's pair. Schneider. I'm not my dad. It's um, not. Food for thought. If you want me to turn off my ad blocker, then stop making me watch the exact same advert before every video I watch on the site. Um, cheers and use your influence power to get Wetrix released on the 3DS. Oh man, Wetrix was cool. Good concept. The game I feel like could have used a little bit more. Well, for time folks in who don't shop. know what Wetrix is, why don't you <laughs> give them a, a little summary? It's a game where you basically you're breaking down walls to make water flow through a level. You know, like mm-hmm. you were you're trying to contain water, and so it was one of the the really one of the first games where you know outside of stuff like Populous, like where you had this isometric um, kind of managing fluid stuff um that sounds weird yeah know. it sounds like you're holding no, your pee it was a it sounds really like marble cool, madness but with uh, it was liquid a, yeah it was a cool but it was more about like making sure that you build up water levels and mm. don't uh, lose the water off the world and i always so, wanted to play that game but i never did it's really cool we should we should uh we should bring it in but yeah the the ad blocker thing yeah you know i, I mentioned that um you know ad blockers do hurt us there's a percentage of people who go to websites that block ads on IGN luckily it's a little lower than than at some of the kind of super hardcore fan sites out there it does hurt us right because if you don't see a video ad then we have all the production costs and the serving costs and the development costs and the sales cost of the video but we don't recoup any of that and so that means in the future we can make fewer videos we will make fewer videos um, totally get it man ads are not fun when it's either an ad that you don't care about or like it's for a game you don't care about or a movie or whatever or if you see the same thing over and over the problem is that not everybody will have that experience right like sometimes advertisers will target like a certain city like they'll say like oh we have a new york event therefore we only want to target new york and so for uh, for a time period you may just see the same ad because there's you know there's a time limit on it um i think the ad you know, community as a whole is kind of moving away from that, making yeah. time spans for advertising longer so that they don't run into it, right? Mm-hmm. An advertiser doesn't want you to see the same ad over and over because you may have a negative experience. It's so, even exactly. happening on yeah. YouTube, man. Like, it's it's happened all over the place. I'm yes. surprised how much uh, ad, Hulu, ads Hulu have... is really bad because they'll show you six ads and then four of them will be the same It's one. because wow. of targeting, they, they right? don't want that, though. Well, I know they're trying to get smarter about it. The advertiser that. is probably saying, hey, I want to target guy with red hair and mustache, yeah. right? And then I don't have red Sam hair. Sam is the only guy. <laughs> brown hair. What is that's red? It's not red. I have brown hair. Yeah. I have a brown must. I have a red mustache. Yeah. I will so give as you that, which I only saying. discovered when I grew a mustache. Um, no, so you sometimes are unfortunately in that target group. That doesn't mean that everybody else has that same experience. 
I get it. It's still it's still nice if you don't <laughs> block our ads. If you're a Prime member, by the way, you can turn off your ads. I didn't mean to uh, turn this into an upsell, but it is definitely uh, hurts us. And um, here, how about Jason is asking? All right, last question. one. Last yeah. question. Mm-hmm. Um, Blast Corpse. Okay. Remember that? Blast Corp. Blast Corp. Yeah, yeah, that's Blast Corp. There you go. It's not about dead people. Uh, it was so <laughs> fun, but where the heck was the Rumble Pack support? Um, the end on the moon, pure, pure We're fun. We're supposed to answer that? Come on. Um, Give us another one. Yeah. You know what? That was, it, it's it's a famous it's, one in the history of Nintendo. That was uh, true. Rumble, one of those But it's games. about a rumble pack. Huh? <laughs> that, that email is a couple of years late. A couple of decades late. <laughs> oh, no offense. Oh, you guys are right. He uh, sent it to N64 at IGN. There you go. Yeah, J- Jason, great. don't listen that's to so these cool guys. You're you totally that. right. Um, and I think there is actually a Shindo uh, Blast Core Rumble Pack edition, but don't tell these guys. They just don't know anything. Um... <laughs> That's so great. Do you have a, you have a good question then? Hold on. Dude, very Guys, remember, if you want your question read on the air, it cannot be a novel. We will read your novels. Ooh, I've read some novels. Let All me right. tell you. Okay. This is a good one. <laughs> uh, we got... And that's all the time we have. <laughs> this is terrible. Sorry for the dead air, guys, but all these right. guys threw me a curveball. It, it doesn't happen often. It's okay. We usually keep things rolling. Uh, I did see one that might take a long time to answer, but we could answer it because I don't Do think it. as a crew we have answered it. This one comes from Max Roberts, who just finished working on the Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze Wiki with another IGN contributor named Andrew Eisen. Yep. Uh, he's Those hoping, guys are kicking butt. Yeah. I'm and hoping doing work like this, running a blog, and creating video content will prepare me to some degree for working in the industry. My question is, what was your first step in the world of gaming journalism? Ah, oh, that l- word. L- let me just also say that that <clears throat> the guy he's working with, Andrew Eisen, and uh, many other people that have worked on wikis, I've hired as freelancers. So that mm-hmm. that is a really seriously good step in the right direction yeah. and uh, you just got to keep in touch with editors like work with editors on wikis and like let us know like I'm always looking for help I'm always looking for people that are just kicking butt writing in, in you know writing about how to beat games and stuff like that like that's really important for discovery on IGN right now mm-hmm. to find freelancers and I've hired I, I hired a full time editor that was once a uh Wiki uh, writer and a freelancer, Jerry Petty. Yeah, um, I, so it's I, a path to IGN. I did the I did a a Q and A on my blog about how to best get into the the games industry. Okay, well, what was the, your into, first step? Into Don't forget, that's media. part of the, yeah, I part of the answer. Mine. But yeah, this yeah. one, this one is the big one, right? Like you have so many ways to apply yourselves. My first step was um, I was at I was studying journalism and I wanted to do a side project. I wanted to learn HTML. So that's the first great step right there, though. Studying journalism. I don't. I think that is really under like people don't stress that enough. Well, that's because you yeah. know anyone you if you ask anyone out there. They will tell you a journalism degree is completely worthless, right? Do not don't you, believe. I don't think that's true. The degree is worthless. The experience is not, right? Like yeah. If you, I, I learned so much. I went to UC Berkeley. I learned so much. They basically simulated a, a live newsroom for a newspaper where mm-hmm. they held you to having a deadline at like seven a.m. Okay. and they copy edited the crap out of your pieces and like you would be so pissed because he's like, I don't understand why are you taking this word out. Like they'd be like, Oh, you can't use the word massive to denote like something big. Massive mm-hmm. means thick. 
right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the kind of feedback. And so that fewer. stuff is fewer versus less and all that. <laughs> they, that's the stuff they drill into you when they copy edit your content. And you will only have that experience if you go with some professional editors out there. If you, even if you create your own YouTube channel or blog, you will not have somebody who constantly gives you that well, and feedback. Well, I, uh, I think also a journalism degree teaches you the ethics of this business. I think there are some people who just have no idea ethically what is right and what is wrong. Yeah. And uh, think that it's just about the story, and that's not entirely true. Yeah, yeah. And they, they, um, you learn about you know famous cases that happened in the past on like you know ethics, but also on sources. How do you treat sources? Yeah. Right, like anonymous say, sourcing let's versus. Let's say yeah. a guy from Nintendo tells us, "Yes, Metroid Prime Four is coming." Right. Like, okay. We can now go out and we can run that story. If that guy is the only, and if you say somebody at Nintendo told us, if that guy is the only guy at core Nintendo who knows that, he is burned, right? He's probably out of a job. And so you have to figure out, like, how can you break a story without, you know, ruining somebody's life, but still, you know, service an audience. And so there, there's a lot of that kind of thought process and ethics discussion going on that you will get out of a journalism course. Take a liter literary criticism class too, though, because if you want to review games, then a journalism degree is not going to get you mm -hmm. all the way there. Creative writing is really good, but then yep. while I was taking those classes, I experimented with HTML. I created my own fan site. There was such a thing back then as a fan site, not a YouTube channel. Nintendo yeah. Dojo. Yeah. It was called Nintendo Dojo. I ran that, and like, it became a little bit of an obsession. <laughs> Where I did it at night, like I, you? I wrote these. Yeah, I wrote these stories at night. My wife was not happy that I was studying during the day, writing at <laughs> night, and but like it just taught me so much. Yep. Right. Okay. What, what about you? What, well, what about you go go first? I'll let you go first. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, my first step, kind of interestingly, after this conversation, is that I read. Uh, I read IGN religiously at the time. It's been two thousand six or seven, and uh, I read a, a, a job description in IGN. And it said, uh, this is what we want. We want two years experience in the media business. We want a relevant degree in journalism or English or something relevant like that. It had a bunch of things that we want at IGN for hiring. Like I, I actually read a description that probably you or Jeremy Dunham or Hillary Goldstein wrote about hiring for a position. And I wanted, I wanted that position. So I, fin I was finishing up college with – I got a creative nonfiction degree, which is like – it's close to journalism. And then uh, I got a job at the local PBS station, uh, NPR writing for TV and doing some on-air stuff. And it, and it was very relevant. And I thought, oh, for, after two years of this, I'll be able to start applying for IGN. But of course, the third part was that experience writing about games. So I went to the local newspaper and I said, you guys don't have a game column. I'd like to write about write about games for the new, big Arizona newspaper, Arizona Daily Star. And they said, okay, uh, we can't pay you. And I said, that's fine. And uh, eventually I was able to convince them to pay me. And then I started writing everybody at IGN. And uh, got freelance work. So, like, basically, I used an IGN, uh, you know, job description to mold what my future was going to be, and I was very, nice. very happy about that. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so, so I was uh, teaching math at a high school, uh, <laughs> and from 2005 to 2007. And 2007 was when I decided to leave, and it was only because I did more and more thinking about how much I was enjoying what I saw from um, certain core sites and editorial voice and. You know, the amount of experience I had in games, I was just like, well, this is crazy, but it's worth a shot. So actually, my first step was moving. I moved from New York to San Francisco without a job, which you should not do. <laughs> um, the logic there was that uh, back then, internships were still an option versus uh -huh. today. And so, you know, going in as an intern willing to learn uh, and with a really good attitude of wanting to learn mm -hmm. was, was just kind of my thing. It was about, you know, just learning to get better and being eager to want to be a part of that. Um, and 
at the same time, as soon as I got here, I started studying uh, some journalism classes. Uh, I started doing free writing for like a mom and pop blog because that's how it always happens and that's Mm -hmm. how you meet people. And then over time, you know, just met some folks and after, took three years, I want to say. Um, I got an internship at One Up, uh, so it wasn't. It was. It was a gradual process. In those three years, I did some writing and I did some work and I met people. Like I said, um, and it's really about experience, but it's also about just your attitude, right? You can't show up and say, "Well, I know exactly how this all works," and you yeah. haven't done a thing. And I know YouTube channels and all that are more are more prominent example today of what people look to. But like we were saying earlier, you know. Being a strong writer, taking writing classes, you know, understanding the ethics, understanding, you know, the other sides of the business, how news gets written, different departments, et cetera. Like, that's really valuable experience. It's not just about being able to play games. Yeah. Yeah, just immersing yourself into the in, in the news creation process yeah. can be really helpful. And, like, just to clarify, I mean, there's still internships around nowadays. It's just that. Very rare. You know, when, when the first website sprung up, I think, you know, laws were slightly different or maybe companies were a little bit more lax and they'd sign on, you know, unpaid interns almost as volunteers, yeah. right? And sometimes didn't do it for college credit either. Sure. And used them as if they were spare workers, yeah. right? And, like, you obviously, like, you can't do that. Yeah. Not under yeah. today's laws. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know. I got paid, but paid, I got yeah. paid very little. And so that, you know. <laughs> There's that. It's an internship. You have you have to be paid for your job. It has to be. You have to learn something. You cannot contribute to the actual product. So if yeah. you're if you're someone who writes in says, "Hey, IGN, take me on as an intern. I'll work for free." We can't. Like we, you know, it'd be awesome to get more content on the site, mm. but we obviously can't do that. You can contribute on our blogs and some wikis and stuff, and all yeah. That. Mm-hmm. But like within the newsroom, we we can't do something like that. And the most important advice you can possibly get is just know how to present yourself and yeah. know how to. You Especially know, over email. Yeah, over email and in person and, and <laughs> totally. you know, and, and totally be professional. I mean, that's like super, super important. Yeah. Um, because then when you do have a chance to get that foot in the door and you deliver something that's really strong, folks will really like you for that. Yeah. So much more importantly, though, just want to let Jason know that. If he does want to add Rumble to Blast, he <laughs> can buy the uh, – there was a third-party um, Rumble pack from Daytel. And that one had a microphone, and it actually used the sound, the loud explosions to rumble. And that's the way we got Blastcore to rumble here at IG. And it actually was better with a rumble. And there's no official version of Blastcore. What was the rumble. last letter writer's name? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Max Roberts. Max, thank you so much for the Donkey Kong work. It's that guide has helped me personally so much. That's I've been so cool. using it to play. It's awesome. beautiful. The layout is awesome. Don't forget Andrew Eisen. I pay Andrew Eisen. Oh, okay. So he already said thank you. I don't know. These guys, <laughs> these guys are great. But yeah, no Andrew, Andrew's hour. kicking butt too with video. Yeah, cool. But they're not blast for. All right. And with that, uh, thank you very much for listening. So uh, don't forget, here at IGN, we have a bunch of podcasts for PlayStation, Xbox, you name it. Um, but of course, you know, these podcasts are free services. And if you really want to keep the lights on and be a part of IGN and contribute, make sure you head over to the website, check out our videos, check out our articles, features. So there's a lot of cool stuff going up from the Game Developers Conference. That's pretty cool. Uh, Impressions on Sony's VR headset and whatnot. And we'll have more stuff from our interviews as well uh, with some Nintendo folk real soon. So going around the room real quick, uh, you can find Pear at? Pear IGN. You can find Sam at? Samuel underscore IGN. And you can find me at Jose underscore Otero on Twitter. And we will see you next week. Time to get moving.
You've probably heard the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy. But how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled or that giving gifts was her love language? In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part miniseries about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were, and it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But... I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com.